0: Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Kearney and I am your host... Thank you so much for tuning in to Book of Leaves, an Irish podcast where I interview people in Ireland that are doing something good for the planet. And the whole idea is myself, the host and you, the listeners, can take a leaf out of their book to add to our own way of eco-friendly living. So hopefully you will enjoy this topic, which I think not many people know much about, which is the dark sky movement and how light pollution affects not only our perception of the sky, but our physical and mental health, as well, of course, as biodiversity. And I'm so excited to have Georgia, who is a PhD student on Dark Skies at Night. And she's also a member of Mayo Dark Sky and Friends of Mayo Dark Skies, Dark Sky Ireland. This is a really, really interesting topic. So I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. I learned so much and hopefully you guys will as well. I want you guys to stick around after because I'm going to just link you in with some events that are upcoming Anything that we mention in the show notes as well as their website and things like that will be linked. Anything mentioned in the interview, I should say, will be linked in the show notes. So if you click about or more info in whatever platform you're listening to this on, be it Spotify or whatever, you'll see a timestamp. So if you want to skip ahead to a certain part of the interview, you can do that. You'll see everything, all our topics listed out and at what time they occur. And you'll also see links to their social media website and the festival that's going to be upcoming, which I'll tell you about at the end. If you can find the Whatever platform you're listening on doesn't have them linked, go on to bookofleespodcast.com podcast.com and you'll see everything linked there. Before I move on and share the episode with you, I just want to very quickly welcome a new Patreon member. So uh, someone called Natasha signed up. Thank you so much, Natasha. You are very welcome to the Patreon and I really appreciate the support of you and all the other Patreon members that I have. If you do like the work that I do on this podcast, I do have a Patreon account for People who have financial means to contribute monthly, you can contribute whatever you like, 1 euro to 10 euro to, I mean, if you have the money, a 100 euro a month, whatever you like guys, whatever you have spare going around. If you would like to support the running of the podcast, my Patreon is also linked below. But if you're someone like me who wouldn't be able to um, commit that kind of finance to somebody you can also contribute once off on buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves and I also bumped into a listener of the podcast this week while I was in work called Olivia who was like oh my god do you run the book of leaves podcast and I was like yeah and I find it so funny even though that's what this is for this podcast is for people to listen to. I still find it really really bizarre when people I don't know are like, "Hey, I listen to your podcast." Cuz yeah, I can see that it has listeners, but you know, you're kind of just stats on my on my cast and then I don't get to meet them in in real life. So, yeah, it was really nice to meet Livia and I really appreciate when people come up and like, "Hey, I listen to your podcast" cuz sometimes like I'm literally sitting in my room talking to a microphone but no one here around you it's a very funny medium to work with sometimes so yeah so thank you all for tuning in and I appreciate the support you can follow me on social media and if you have any suggestions or requests and feedback please do get in touch and as always please rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend okay now I will pass the mic over to Georgia and I hope you guys learn oh one quick note she was taking care of her mum while we were recording this episode and they get a phone call it one stage and you can hear mom kind of pottering about in the background i kind of like these immersive aerial experiences so hopefully it won't bother you too much but just in case you're wondering what is going on there that is that that's what's happening but i hope you enjoy this chat stick around after and i'm just going to share an event with you
1: um i suppose i've got two titles. I'm a Mayo Dark Sky Park development officer. So I I, um, have a day job uh, working for the National Park in Mayo and I suppose keeping the Dark Sky Park organized and the development of it for future plans and events and taking people on tours, that kind of thing. Um, But I suppose the way I came into that was through my volunteer work. So for the last since 10 years, actually, 2013, I got into dark skies. I suppose through outdoor education, I was interested in how things worked from the wilderness point of view. And I came across this special place in Scotland called Galloway Dark Sky Park, which turned out to be the first dark sky park in the UK. And um, seeing as I lived very close to a national park in Mayo, I just thought, well, wouldn't that be? something if we had something similar. Yeah um, if you could marry the two. Yeah so I I started studying light pollution and dark skies and what it all means and one thing led to another so now it's my full-time role as well as a a voluntary passion, I suppose.
0: Wow and that interest in I guess the wilderness and living near parks and nature was that something that you always had growing up or was there a person or a catalyst that inspired that change?
1: Yeah, uh, not particularly. I mean, I, I lived um, on the outskirts of London. So I moved to Ireland in the early 90s. I uh, was in a completely different lifestyle in financial services. And then with the um, the crash in 2008, I got made redundant and I just couldn't do it. I knew it was a soulless industry to be in anyway. So uh, my mother had connections in Mayo and uh, wanted to move west. So I went back and retrained in outdoor education just because I was interested in I suppose hill walking and um, the outdoors did a four year degree with GMIT in Castlebar and just loved it and just fell into it. I met amazing lecturers who were absolutely inspiring on the environment. And it was a whole revelation at a very late stage in life, but um, mm. was, was um, yeah, was a catalyst, I suppose. And then the dark sky world, um, I knew very little about. I, I always had a bit of a, I suppose a dislike of too much artificial light. Even when I was living in Dublin, I felt um, suppressed by it in a way. Um, so coming to Mayo and having that ah, oh, that sense of hush when you get into a really dark place at night, and things are as they should be, all made sense when I came across a Dark Sky Park. That ah, oh, that's that's really what it's about, and that's something that uh, not many people know about or have experienced. So yeah, yeah really everything was just fire. kind of falling in. Into- the place for you I think yeah. I
0: think the, re- the recession might have done for you what COVID did for a lot of people of yes. just a change in direction and kind of knowing what's important and stuff yeah. so lovely to hear that out of a stressful situation for Manny you were able to find your path and a lot of people may be listening to this now I was definitely ignorant of of the dark sky movement. Until starting this podcast, I knew from learning about pollution in primary and secondary school that light pollution is one of the ones listed. But I always thought of that was something that you see. Um, yeah. it, it impacted humans, not being able to see the stars. That was kind of my perception of it as as a kid. But I know it goes a lot deeper and further than that. So, can you enlighten anyone who? Oh, pun. I just <laughs> see Enlightened. And oh, there's oh, lots of yes, them your character totally <laughs> <attention>. <laughs> but can you enlighten anyone who might not know yeah. anything kind of about the dark sky movement or just know surface level about light pollution what it's all about
1: yeah I mean I suppose it uh, in a simple terms light pollution what is it it's, it's excessive artificial light at night so it's more than we need using it where we don't need it and um, using it excessively so why it's important is yes you you've mentioned I suppose the astronomy appeal but that is I hate to say it's a marginal reason, but it's it's only I suppose the the aesthetic reason visually as to why oh, you know we yeah, need dark correct. skies, which is important, yeah. and it's that has all scientific links that are massively important too. But from the public perspective, they think of it as perhaps oh yeah, just astronomy. But from the human well-being, um, we need darkness as a reset, and we need to that's the way we've evolved with natural cycles of night and day. So when we have um, too much artificial light and specifically certain types of artificial light in our lives at night, it has an impact on us. So we're a species and then there's a whole natural world. So things a lot of people don't realize how much an effect um, artificial, excessive artificial light has on say the aquatic species. So salmon, salmonoids, eels, lots of them navigate by natural moon cycles. So they use, Moonlight uh, for indicators of when to perhaps migrate or in the case of silver eels, they use the darkest part of the, the moon cycle to navigate. So when you create mm. artificial light and you have it shining in a water body, they never pass that barrier because they constantly think it's full moon. So they don't want to migrate. So, you know, these are species that we haven't really looked upon the the impact of light pollution. And then there's the invertebrates. Everyone knows that moths are attracted to light um, and It seems to be passe, but you know, if you think about not just moths, um, other insects, and you start to look at the numbers. So I'll give you a few a few statistics because I just think this. this yeah, might hit me. Real. I,
0: I find these very empowering. <laughs> yeah, to, to know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Please. So in Ireland, we have a roughly five to six hundred thousand streetlights. Uh, so that's our public lighting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's estimates that um, a single streetlight can attract a hundred. 150 invertebrates, so let's say they're drawn out of their system, their natural ecosystem for bats or anything else to predators to eat. So all of those insects are drawn out of their natural eco- ecosystem, attracted to a single streetlight. When you start multiplying it by, you know, half a million streetlights, let's say 100 for argument's sake, insects per night are out of their food chain every night. And you start talking about the hours. Um, every single streetlight in Ireland is on from dusk till dawn. So again, you start adding up the hours that that is. It's not only putting um, the ecosystem off balance. It's also a massive expense because we are spending six months worth of energy on streetlights. So every single streetlight you know, I would I would argue that, you know, of course we want some some areas we have to, especially, you know, with crime figures and security concerns and safety concerns. We do need some lighting that has to be on all night. I appreciate that. We don't need every single 500,000 of our street lights to be on no. all through the night. And we're one of the few countries that does that. So how oh. come they can do it? For instance, I'm in Essex at the moment, which isn't the, let's say, the... Uh, most rural of places, and street lights go off at one a.m. outside a very busy road where I'm staying at the minute. So how can they do it, and we can't seem to sit, switch a single street light off anywhere in Ireland for a few hours a night. So there's there's something not right about that, I think.
0: So right, and can I ask, from someone who just I, I, admires the natural world but knows very little about it, what is it about lights that attract moths and, and other insects like that? Why are, yes. why do they go to
1: the light? it It's often because they're they're wired to the natural s um, Signs, so they migrate. So it, with moths, I believe they're they're using polarized moonlight. So they're using it for for navigation. So they end up going around in circles because they think the moon. Let's say it's on the right hand side. So they're constantly thinking yeah. the moonlight is on that side. So they, they end up going spiraling around a light until they can they're exhausted because they, and they, they die.
0: to them they know that the moon is very far away. So if you keep the moon on your right, you'll be flying yeah. for a very long time. Yes. but obviously yes. if it's a light, they'll,
1: yeah, they'll is get it, stuck. It's okay. Artificial, yeah. yeah. And you have, you know, other species like um, beetles, the great diving beetle, uh, which we have in the National Park in in Mayo. And um, they also use polarized moonlight. And the problem for them is that they look for water services. So if they're looking for a new water habitat or a new water body to go and live in, they look for Mm. moon reflected on the surface of the water. We have a lot of rain, obviously, in Ireland. So when a streetlight reflects off a road surface, they think, oh, that's a water body. I'll go and land there and they're in the wrong place. Um, We have things like mayfly that are um, not able to lay their eggs in the right place in in water bodies, because they think the shiny surface on a bridge is where they should lay their eggs. They think that's the water. So things are becoming off kilter when they shouldn't be. A lot of it is to do with the colour of the light as well. So this is where we are trying to, I suppose, not be a lobby group that are anti-light Uh, per se we we want to Mm. say you know what can we do about it and we can change the color of our light and make it a softer color and that's it doesn't replicate either moonlight or daylight then it it replicates sort of uh, fire or candlelight or that sort of more warm color and that doesn't interfere as much with the natural cycle as the white lights that we're getting at the moment so that's one so if do. you
0: so if there is a place um certain roads or or places for crime reasons or whatever that need that illumination mm. it's not 100 percent perfect but those places that are crucial for it could have less hours of light mm. and that light could be softer and would softer. that be the kind of amber orangey lights that yeah. we see as opposed to bright yeah now white, traditionally
1: yeah. um what we've had you may have I don't know how close you look at streetlights, but you would have seen over the last 15 years that we are taking out the amber lights and we're putting in the white lights. And that's purely based on energy um, because the old amber lights that we used to have were sodium, not LED. And they okay. are not, as, it's true that they're not as energy efficient. But what we are saying is, okay now we know the science has caught up we know that you can get leds that are efficient and you can get them that are also colored amber or red or you know a dark uh, a warmer tone um so why not use those and they're still energy efficient they're still the right color they're also less intense i think as a you know i walk alone a lot in the dark i don't know about yourself um i am far more threatened as a female walking alone at night if i'm the one on display and all the lights are Pointing at me because what that does is create mm. very dark corridors on either side of a, a, a walking street or a pathway. Whereas if the light is much softer, you have better peripheral vision. So, as a woman walking alone at night, I can see sort of left and right of me, you know, and that's where people, I think women in particular, have a fear is that somebody's going to jump out from the dark shadows. So, if you only mm. illuminate a runway, then you're the one on display, not the potential person in the in the bushes you know. That's a very good
0: point because if I'm at home because I'll get I'll get spooked like growing up in the countryside I was always afraid of like monsters in the garden and when the light is on in the kitchen but not out the back like you can be seen they can see you but you can't see it so I'd I'd always be turning off the in the inside light so that It, we were like level that's a really good point actually because it is something that would be on especially um women but a lot of people's minds about safety at nighttime but you're so right in that we're actually more tuned to all the different kind of levels of light yeah like in that way into the shadows if we are also walking in a bit of a darker area and there's street lights but are there other kind of main culprits because I imagine things like soccer pitches and stuff like that that are also prevalent in Ireland and how how has it been trying to change those things
1: yeah it's very difficult um so soccer pitches GAA pitches and a lot of those have had funding recently to increase their lighting and obviously You know, playing sport is a healthy activity, and you know you have to balance the needs of the community with, with the needs of the environment, I suppose. But with that, we are working with lighting specialists and lighting designers, and we're working with the likes of the the GAA to see can we find, perhaps, um, a curfew time so that you know those lights are on for the period that they need. They're on to again using that sort of warmer light type of lights, are not quite as bright and that they're conscious of, you know, neighborhoods and not shining outside of the sports. Light pollution starts when things are shining outside of the intended area. So if you're shining a sports light, and it's reaching the neighbor's windows, which I know it does in some cases, that's light pollution. Whereas if it's only shining down on the pitch, where it's needed, then it's it's curtailed. So we're trying to, Mm. as I say, work with lighting designers who are advising you know, the sports groups and trying to network through the sports partnerships and the GAA and, you know, the groups who want to do great things and they are doing great work, but perhaps they're just not aware of the impact of light pollution. So it's a bit of uh, partnerships and, and getting stakeholders involved. Yeah. And I think it's something that
0: we get so used to, like I remember driving by GAA pitches, where I grew up and the lights would just be left on like all the time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like yeah, an aesthetic. Exactly. I don't know if it was an aesthetic thing to just to kind of like, look at our pitches and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Our community has like a uh, really well-funded pitch or whatever or if yeah. it was a security thing at the, of both, at the end say. of the day like pro- yeah like that's just such unnecessary use of energy and even if it is led like it's yeah it's just i think unnecessary and it only takes a little bit of like retraining into mm-hmm. what matters to go oh yeah it's actually better if we we leave it off yeah so you're talking a little bit about ex- Essex. There, turn their street lights off for a couple of hours, and even that, I'm like, wow! Like, why don't we? Why don't we yeah. do that? Um, are there any other examples of other countries having imp- implemented rules or regulation around the kind of lights that are used
1: in public spaces? Yeah, we we were at um, the EU Light Pollution Conference last year in Brno in the Czech Republic. They held the your um, environmental ministry for the EU at that time. And it was amazing to hear from all the different countries. So we're, we're, as I say, we're one of the few that has no switch off and and even our dimming, we do dim in certain places, but we don't dim that much. We dim to something like 75% of output, which is nothing really, and you don't even notice Mm. it. So um, other countries, France has legislation to limit how much light pollution is actually emitted. The UK has part night lighting and not everywhere, but depending on their local authority, they have um, used it quite successfully. Um, Croatia has some very, I mean, they're very advanced on their uh, implementation of light pollution legislation. And I think it would be difficult for us to replicate something like that. Germany is doing very well on the type of light and their much softer type of lighting to what we use in ireland australia has you know this is outside the eu but uh, australia have some great guidelines and they they work very well with the, you mentioned um who people who inspired me it's uh, a lot of um the advocates in australia who have worked on dark skies so there's one lady in particular called marnie og and she does fantastic work with both the dark sky groups and the lighting authorities to um to you need to put them together so we shouldn't be working against each other we should be working with them so it's sort of leaders like that that influence other countries and yeah we have to take examples from elsewhere otherwise we'll just be operating in our own little bubble and um, thinking that it's okay to light up everything the way we do and it's simply not
0: 100% like we we need collaboration on this as much as possible and have there been any when it comes to things like motorways because I remember the first time I kind of heard about this from energy and also light kind of uh, interfering with insect life and that has any country come up with a way of uh, sensors on motorways or walkways where as cars or people are approaching the lights kind of come on a little bit in advance and then go off when there's no one walking in the vicinity
1: yeah i think that that, that's brilliant um so what do they call that um adaptive lighting and smart it's sort of smart lighting but yes i think belgium already has it. Some places in France have it. I don't think they do in the UK, and I'm not sure why, but that yeah. would be that would be a good thing if we can get more adaptive lighting in and we can use, uh, I suppose, precedence. So in, in, in Newport, which is where I'm living in Mayo, it's only a small town, but we've started to look at the output. We've done an SEC group for a sustainable energy community, and we have looked at the main lighting culprits, which Funny enough, was the church, and um, we've um, oh. got a, yeah, we've got a lighting designer to give us guidelines on where we can make changes. So, this is all community led, though. So, thanks to the Heritage Council who funded it, and the Rural Development um, Department who have funded some of it as well, we've been able to um, retrofit the church lighting, so that's no longer a light pollution issue. And now we've got before and after photos, and I think that's what starts the ball rolling. You have you know some yeah. case examples. And the same with the streetlights. Mayo County Council are quite um, willing to at least trial dimming profiles in Newport, which is only less than 100 streetlights. Once we have some stats from that, then we can say, look, OK, it's small scale, but it's somewhere. And why don't try a bigger town and a bigger one? And then maybe, you know, a city Depending, will have different levels depending on the size and, and traffic volumes and pedestrian volumes, etc. But we need the lights of TII to work with us on that because you know TII. transport infrastructure ireland so they uh, okay yes, yeah, yes. They, they manage all of the major routes the national routes so the local authorities mm-hmm. have responsibility for say the secondary roads but the primary routes come under tii so with newport mm-hmm. what we found is as soon as we sort of cross the road and we we start looking at um an n the n59 which runs through the center of it now you have to deal with tii Whereas anything off that is Mayo County Council. So it's quite difficult for a local community to say, can we have, you know, all this little town um, set at the same lighting level because you've got so many different agencies to deal with. But we, we're, we're making a bit of progress. We haven't done it all yet, but we're making a bit of progress. And, oh, well,
0: and here, look, the start that you've made is amazing because every community will look to someone else for inspiration or just just not like the first person or people to break the mold. It always has like a positive impact on, on other groups. So I think that's very inspirational to hear if there's anyone listening that as part of their own kind of community that if they get involved with like a sustainable energy community they do a a kind of mapping out of where the light pollution in their area is and then grassroots contacting the local ground level organizations so you're telling me that it's your kind of local authorities and stuff like that and then like that that pressure on the community ground level built with the TII people then kind of coming down from the top and you know, we'll meet in the middle, and hopefully,
1: the insects will be happy, and we'll be able to reset and um our bodies and everything like that. You're dead right. That's where it's a challenge. So that we have to make sure that um, the likes of the sustainable energy communities are only the keys in the name. They're only concerned with energy. What we're mm. bringing in now, and I've, I've I know it's changing with them because I've seen some of the the latest application um, that they've got out. But they are now looking at a bit more. Towards biodiversity, but with lighting, if you only focus on energy, you'll end up with very white light because that's the most energy efficient. So you have to mm. say, let's bring in biodiversity and let's get the right color lighting as well as making it energy efficient. You can't operate in isolation for the insects, and you can't operate in isolation for the energy. It has to be that's so true because I mean,
0: I work I work in theater a lot, and a lot of theaters have old bulbs in them, and we're trying to get them switched to led now it is very expensive then to to do that switch and some people are waiting they also don't want to create the waste of these old bulbs so they're waiting for them to go but but really if we could just make the switch straight away we would because our energy bills would go way down but i also know from working in theater that led stage bulbs can be changed to any color in any intensity that you like because they are so flexible so this is the thing, you can have that low energy, but also not that really horrible harsh white light that kind of keeps you awake. Like the estate yeah. I grew up in had amber streetlights, and now anytime I see amber streetlights, I get this nostalgic feeling yeah. as well. Um, but and I know it's an it's expensive, but the investment you make in the energy saving and also the fact that the lights will hopefully be turned off for a few mm-hmm. hours is just beneficial all around I'm hearing so how else for people because I probably have more community members listening to this Mm. than big Mm. business members but we'll get to top down our systemic changes I guess in a moment but what can other community members do, and in
1: their house and in their garden lights as well. In the garden, that's especially important. The other thing I suppose we're we're trying to persuade communities is to think about, you know, you've mentioned it already, you know, how does it look to light up everything? I I personally, I think it looks a bit tacky if we have everything lit up, but, you know, to to make sure that, you know, if you're using outdoor lighting uh, from a garden ornamental point of view, you know, just have it on for I know the minimum amount of time if you have to have just just for decorative purposes. And I know mm. some people like it, but um, think about the color. So think amber rather than white. Blue is the worst. If you look at the lighting okay. spectrum, so keep it to the think about Kuga. you know, the Danish concept of warm and cozy, the Scandinavian okay. candlelight. So think of, you know, those sort of yeah you know, little fairy light, lights aren't too bad. Soft fairy lights, not blue. Um, so don't think cold, it's thinks think Hugo.
0: that's great because um, they are my least favorite christmas decoration color if i see blue or white light <laughs> yeah, i'm like no horrible. it's too cold. Yeah. i like yeah warm coziness okay yeah, that's
1: right with that. <laughs> um, and um, and any light that you have i mean this is kind of obvious but make sure it's it's doing what it's supposed to do so if it's supposed to light your porch or your front doorstep then that's all it should be lighting it doesn't need to light the sky it doesn't need to light your next door neighbor's You know, window. It really is. It's like noise. If you think of it, from you know, would you be playing your radio outside at night, blaring all night, so everyone else can hear it? Probably not. Look after your own property. See what you need to see, and be sensitive to other neighbours and Mm -hmm. the other natural members of our natural world who also need to sleep and to to do their their daily business. Because nighttime pollinators is a massive thing. You know, our food crops are a lot of the nighttime pollinators. Um, you know. Our, our berry food our strawberries they need darkness they don't need bright light all night mm. um so you know help them along and they'll help us that's a very so, good point yeah. point. and then in on a community level if they're in a
0: group or, or contacting kind of local authorities or i mm-hmm. guess having a look at mayo dark website and stuff like that for inspiration or advice how would you yeah. direct people in that way
1: yeah, I mean, de- definitely mayo.skypark.ie, ma- um, but also we're part of Dark Sky Ireland, so we're forming a, a, an NGO. So darksky.ie is the national group. Info at darksky.ie is a good um, email address to, to contact there. Just say it, it's very easy to make small changes around the, the home and then that gives an example to the communities. What does a dark sky park involve? It involves I suppose auditing light so we have to see when, when we first said okay we want to have a look at um, a dark sky park in Mayo we we had an advantage in that it was quite rural anyway so there wasn't that much light in it but, yeah. but what we also have to look at is the satellite imaging to see are there lights around it that would in- impact it negatively and the answer is yes so that's why we're working on Newport so you have to take light pollution measurements and that's where Dark Sky Ireland can help we can advise on how to do that it might be as simple as a phone and mobile phone there's there's some apps you can do or we have light meters that we get people to go out as citizen science and measure how dark is their sky um mm. or if you want to have a quick look, there's a website called um light map dot info and that shows you the whole world basically at night but you can drill right into mayo ireland
0: amazing um, i must give those apps a go and have you ever seen because i this is something i think because of light pollution just to kind of i guess talk about it with shomni very quickly we don't really see our beautiful milky, milky way that often well i'm so used to living in dublin but even if i go home to the village i grew up in the sky is much darker but still not really dark have you ever seen the northern lights from northwest ireland
1: Yeah, we had a fantastic display uh, in February this year, and it was really poignant, you know, um, Cara, because we we were out. I do stargazing tours, um, and I had a group out of Ukrainian women and it was the weekend of the anniversary of the invasion and we were just stargazing we weren't intending to see the aurora or chase it or anything but I took them up to the dark sky park and we were having a great time stargazing and um, I just I had my camera with me and I, I took a photo and I thought that looks like the start of aurora and then as we looked at the lens and we then we looked you know with our naked eye and it just grew and grew and grew and there were you know green and we were saying we were laughing because it was the green and red of mayo so the uh the lights in the sky (laughs) were amazing so that was that was special yeah we don't get it too often but we are in in the right position and you need natural darkness for that um and the milky way i mean i've been with young children when they've we've got a little um, stone hut in the dark sky park where we do some storytelling and we were doing that last year and we stepped outside with this young lad who was about 11 and he was, he'd come down from dublin and he had never seen the milky way and his just his reaction was like oh my god what is that it was just like a blanket of stars overhead it was it was you know people need that it's um it's to remind us where we are because I don't know if you're familiar with the the the, uh, the quote from Carl Sagan, the pale blue dot. He had he uses the photograph that was taken in 1990 of um the, of Earth, sorry, by the Voyager uh, space shuttle, and it was that pale blue dot. Look again at that pale blue dot. That's us. That's home. That's everyone you ever loved, everyone you ever knew, where they lived their, their lives. And I think that's a really powerful message of the fragility of Earth and you know, we are part of the cosmos, we're part of space, you know, we are just a little tiny dot amongst this enormous universe. So we have to, we're, we're obliged to look after it and to do what we can to improve it. That's so true. And I think a lot of us, we're kind of living in a Truman
0: dome of light pollution where we don't, we don't get to see the sky. And you forget that, you forget how small we are and how precious life is and also just that beautiful feeling of all you get from looking I'll never yeah. forget when I was staying in uh just outside Nuri for a week or so in an in an Airbnb and me and my friends were just out sitting on the the kind of like a uh, rooftop terrace that that they had and we by chance saw a shooting star and then another and then for about half an hour 40 minutes we lay down on the roof and just watched like I've never yeah. seen a shooting star like split the sky in half and it was so bright and we were like Wah! Like watching this free <laughs> wow. entertainment like better than any fireworks you'd ever see yeah. it was so amazing and I think we, we don't really realize that that might have been like a specific meteor shower but if you look at the sky I remember growing up in Wexford I'd go out to back garden and I'd, I'd stare at the sky for a while until I saw a shooting star and then we'll go in like they happen all the time and we're kind of losing that entertainment. And I think something that you said at the start that we didn't really dwell on, which I think is really important as well is our body clocks, too because I did night shifts for work w- before when I worked in a supermarket and that shit just really messes yeah. with your body and yeah, your mind and I would see the night shift staff coming in and they look older they're my age and they look haggard they're, it's it's like yeah. it's not good for our health because we are not supposed to be awake and have this artificial light in us at all times so when I see Uh, people in Iceland or something when they've got only so many hours of daylight or only so many hours of of nighttime I'm like how do you (laughs) how do you survive in that because I love our grand stretch but I also love the difference you know and and having that for a long period of
1: time. We're lucky where we are we've got far more of a balance you know between the seasons and but then you know if we light it all up then we no longer have that balance.
0: Oh no but the skies are so like I just we don't do stargazing enough it's a low energy form of entertainment. It's very accessible yeah. for like people with anything physical going on. You don't need to walk. You literally just yeah. go outside and you get that serotonin uh, or dopamine. I don't know which one it is that that na- time in nature gives you. If you can see the sky clearly, it means that the air quality will be clearer as well. So there wouldn't be smog um, too. So often the air quality is better. So all these things are interlinked. Um, but obviously, as a big animal lover I'd often be thinking about biodiversity as well and we can see how fewer insects would even be flying around lights and that's not a sign of oh they found their way it's just a sign of decreasing numbers so we need to do everything that we can to help them and and kind of before we kind of start wrapping up I know you're not telling people to not put up Christmas decorations anymore but that's something that might be on people's minds. How do you how do you do that? Like I love warm fairy lights. Mm. That's my jam. And can people still do that and know that? Okay, yeah. I'm not
1: making too much of an impact. Again, going back to that huger, that warm, cozy feeling around the fireside. There's nothing wrong with that, and chances are you're not going to have your lights on for longer than the Christmas period. So maybe don't start it too mm. early. A lot of nature, nocturnal nature, hibernates during you know that period so you know try and think about less light is is better if you can but don't be you know I'm not I'm not a bad humbug about christmas at all i, I think it's important <laughs> for people so yeah um but light like, right i think that's where we're, a lot of our local authorities don't use lighting designers because they have contractors and they contract out lighting but i think we need to get back into that and to start thinking about people who know what to do with light and it is like any other kind of architectural design, it needs um, specialists. So, and hopefully we can start, you know, maybe a little bit more citizen science in in urban areas where we can engage with the night sky and, um, you know, get people away from... You know, you've probably heard of the shifting baseline syndrome, where you know we just accept mm-hmm. the the lack of biodiversity as the norm, and we accept the lack of, of a natural night sky as the norm. We should not accept it anymore, and we should not have to put up um, blackout blinds because it's so bright outside. If if light is shining into your light, particularly from the local authority, then it's light pollution, and they need to fix it. So they need to shield, um, use cowls on their lights, lights so it doesn't go into your bedroom window because. You shouldn't have to use a blackout line. That's artificial darkness. So, you know, you don't want that either. We want a natural cycle of sleeping at when it's dark and awake when it's bright, other than obviously shift workers. But, um, you know, we have to try and regulate our cycles. Otherwise, we have other health implications. It's, it you know, interferes with our, our sleeping patterns that interferes with our digestion. Our-
0: You've imparted so much wisdom onto me and listeners. Is there anything else that you would like people to know before I ask
1: the last question? I think just if, if people can have a think about their own lighting, that's you know, there's no place like home to start making these small changes and then to, to bring it into other groups. So if you're involved in, I don't know, a back group or any kind of environmental group, tidy towns even, light pollution and dark skies has a place in all of those groups. So whether it's you know making a, a few small changes down at your local community centre, maybe revisiting the lights there or you know thinking about the type of light that, you have in your town or village and perhaps getting in touch with the local authority and saying you know if you're going to retrofit our lights um can you we please have you know a warmer type of light instead of the the glary type of blue mm-hmm. rich light and start building a demand for that and i think you know if people start asking for it and knowing what to ask for then that would help us all um, and the same you know, if you're involved in sports and gaa and that's absolutely great but um, think about switching off when not in use and using a softer type of light so it it, so we can all go about our daily business and enjoy the night time as well. Amazing
0: and then if we were to step in to an imaginary time machine and travel to the future now this doesn't have to be about dark skies but of course it can be related if you want it can be any particular point ahead but a point when everything has worked out or climate justice has been achieved in an intersectional way so that we're thinking about the smallest insect to the biggest mammal and all humans of all cultures across the world imagine god everything has worked out you arrive here and what is one of your favorite things about this or you can paint a picture of what you see
1: well, I think what, what I've I've been in Scotland recently and I think what I've really missed and I would love to see in the future is those big old trees um, that we'd have, you know, natural places where we can go and walk with fantastic trees. We are so lacking in them. We can use natural materials. We can shop locally. We can go to an old fashioned green grocers and we can buy our fresh produce and we can go to the butchers. I've got this thing about supermarkets that just, they just, they were the death of the small village. They were the death of the mm-hmm. small producer and would love to see those thrive again. And I would love to say goodbye to our massive supermarkets or the big car parks. And Joni Mitchell was right. You know, we paved paradise to put up a parking lot and yeah. Mm. to um julian lennon's song if you haven't already um saltwater wells in my eyes it's just a beautiful song and i think you know that's that's shown us what we've done wrong so if we can reverse some of those things it would be so lovely to just enjoy nature again enjoy the small things think locally it's yeah. a far nicer way of doing things so and enjoy the stuff. i totally
0: agree with you
1: <laughs> yeah and
0: of course we'll have our beautiful night skies and access to the milky way oh it would just be gorgeous I don't know about you guys, but I learned so much and I can't stop looking at streetlights now on my walk home and seeing the amber ones and then seeing the bright ones and seeing things lit up and being like, okay, right, how do we need to, how do we change this? Should I send uh, this hotel or whatever the building is an email and let them know? Um, So yeah, hopefully you guys learned something as well. If you enjoy this episode, please do share it. But I want to plug, there is a Mayo Dark Sky Festival happening on the 3rd to 5th of November November and early bird tickets for this are on sale for like 30 euro at the moment which is a steal and there's loads of amazing events and talks and workshops on not just about biodiversity also about the astronomy side of things Um, the likes of Duncan Stewart will be there it will be an amazing event to go to if you're in the west or if you can make your way to the west for those few days I'm going to be uh, working on a show at that time a theatre show um, so I know I won't be able to make it so I'm kind of raging so please someone go in my stead and yeah you can check out there's a couple of different websites that Georgia sent to me darksky.ie is the one she talked about during the episode and there you'll find lots of toolkits and information packs for communities if you want to kind of get dark sky movement and parks like going in your area there's also mayodarkskypark.ie and of course mayodarkskyfestival.ie where you can see the program and the lineup for this festival so everything is linked in the show notes and as always if you like this episode please do share it with a friend or WhatsApp group that you're in please do leave a little review on Apple podcast if you're listening to it there and on Spotify it literally takes 2 seconds to just tap five stars and then it'll help the podcast be shared on more to more people. So I really appreciate you so much for listening. Thank you so much to all the people on Patreon by May coffee who help support the running of this podcast. And I'll be back in two weeks time with another interviewee. If you have any suggestions or requests, please do get in touch. Have a lovely day and I will talk to you in two weeks time. Bye.